dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I'm sitting down with Gypsy and Josh Beckett of Thibodeau Winery in Paso Robles. Josh comes from a long history of wine in the region, working with his parents and even creating his own brand with his brother. But he was still searching for more. Together, he and Gypsy are fulfilling their dream of owning and farming their own estate vineyard. Thibodeau wine labels have unique names and the wines inside are just as distinctive. If you enjoy exploring the wine glass, I'd appreciate you giving me some love by taking two minutes out of your day and swipe to rate and review on whatever app you are listening on. It is the best way to support the show. Also, if you would like to keep up on all things Exploring the Wine Glass, head over to exploringthewineglass.com and sign up for the newsletter. Slancha! Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, the UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, Somday service, champagne and Côte d'Iron specialist, and a WSET level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Allure of the Poor, sponsored by Dracina Wines. I am your host, Lori. And today, unfortunately, I am not on location because I would love to be out again, but I am home. And today we have two special guests. We have Gypsy and Josh Beckett of Thibidio Winery in Paso. So welcome. Hi. So busy day today. So thank you for taking the time out to uh, talk to me and to share your wines and your story. Busy 2022. Here we go. All right. Did did we did we pop champagne? Do we do that? Yeah, because we started last week. So, oh my. Yeah, we're, we're moved on. We're we're just we're yeah. gonna go. Yeah. Well, today was our first. Pick our first pick for our vineyard. Yeah, that I get between moving stuff and. Picking and cruise, and you just now are full pedal to the metal. Yep, yep. It's that time of year. So, um, the first question I just want to say, like, so you know, Josh, you grew up in the wine industry. Um, you know, your family has been in Paso for a very long time, or whatever. But so, my first question: What was Paso? What was Paso like when you were a kid? <laughs> it was. Uh, it was unique. It was very. Um, there wasn't much going on. There was not a lot of culture. There wasn't really good food. Um, I grew up, you know, in like, if you go out to Peachy Canyon where I actually grew up today, um, it's like a different planet compared, you know, it was just, there was probably eight or 10 kids and we just raised hell living out there and between guns and motorcycle, and just, it was a free for all. And, we rode a tiny bus to get to school every day. It took an hour each way. And when I went to buy it and homecoming in high school was the car hop A and W, you know, oh. <laughs> you know Le Petit Canai or, you know, or, you know, Il Cortile or the hatch, you know, all these fabulous restaurants we have now and awesome stores, you know, that we have to shop. It was, if you wanted food or you wanted to do something, you go to slow um, okay. and quite the opposite. Um, okay. we, world-class wine but also with the food and art and everything and it was a lot of cowboys and rednecks really you know and, and you know and, and some hippies here and there and but now it's you know it's amazing it's a different world um i do i am fortunate to have seen what it was and i still have friends who i grew up with who you know are still in town that aren't in the wine business and it's good to see them and good to see that they can stay it hasn't gotten easier. hasn't gotten any cheaper. You know? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it was just a small country town, really. It was tiny. Um, and now it's amazing. You know, it's, we're pretty fortunate to be able to be a part of it and watch the evolution, for sure. 
Yeah, I grew up um, with a we had a summer home that was in the middle of the woods of New Jersey. Um, And when I was growing up, I thought it was so far away from my house. And then when we got married, when I got married and we bought a house into this town, I was like, I'm 10 minutes from this place where I grew up thinking it was like so far away. But it was kind of the same thing. We, you know, dirt bikes and, you know, we used to ride our our regular bikes down a hill and jump off a rock into a lake. I don't know how we survived, you know, but... Yeah, we had we did the same adventures. We were literally, I think it's only eight miles from town, but it was a you know super windy road, no center divider, no barriers. It was just a country road, dirt road that got paved over. And yeah, from taking turns driving back and forth, one person on the three wheeler or the motorcycle, and everybody lined up BB guns as they drove <laughs> to shoot them to. You know, taking shotgun shells and taking all the BBs out of it and tying the marble to it and throwing them and just to hear them and just. Oh my gosh. I'm going to tell you East coast, West coast. We were doing the same stuff. We were doing the same stuff. That, that is hysterical. I I didn't, I didn't think anybody else did that stupid stuff, but (laughs) that's awesome. Now Gibbsy, where did you grow up? Were you Paso also? I grew up in Visalia. Oh, Okay. Yeah. I grew up in the Valley. My, um, my roots though are from the San Luis Obispo County. My parents grew up here. They graduated from mission prep. They graduated from Cal Poly. So they just couldn't find jobs here. So they ended up moving over there. We were over there, um, for my childhood and my parents were teachers. And so we played a lot of sports and grew up there. And the minute we all got to be ready to fly. We flew the nest. My sister lives in Pismo. Um, and we actually, we actually live in Morro Bay. So we commute to Paso and then, um, and my parents live in Lake Tahoe now. So very nice. Very nice. I saw that you went to Fresno state. Oh yeah. I got my teaching credential at Fresno state. And then, um, yeah, I graduated from the university of San Diego with my bachelor's and, and that's where I met Josh. Oh, okay. That see that led into my very next question is how did you two meet? Yeah. Josh was um, on the orientation team. He was on the board for the orientation to welcome all the freshmen at the University of San Diego. And I was two years mm-hmm. behind. Yeah. And you were doing all the interviewing. Yeah, we did it. Um, my buddies and I decided we could, if we could be a part of the orientation program, we could get first dibs on meeting all the incoming students. <laughs> And it worked. Yeah. Well, it wasn't incoming. She gives it was wasn't. We had to put together uh, teams of. So we had it. It was a big deal to be a part of this orientation program. Um, so upperclassmen would also volunteer to be a team member. Okay. To, to, you needed a whole bunch of kids or students to welcome all the incoming freshmen and transfers, and a couple of us were on the board, and then we got to select our team. So then we would go around and. Oh yeah, we should take her. She could be on my team. And- yeah, I wanted nothing to do with it. None right. of my kids got chosen, mm-hmm. and so I was like, I don't want to volunteer for a week. I'm, I won't be with my friends. I'm, you know, I'd work, and I trying to back out of it, and they would not let me back out of it. And so, <laughs> very begrudgingly went, and he was my orientation sort of upper manager, and so I was in his group, and and that was the end. That was it for me. <laughs> We just sort of fell in step with each other and never fell out. So that's good. And were you into wine at that point? No, not really. No, I mean, I <laughs> knew wine and I grew up with it. Um, it was more, the winery was in the vineyard in particular was more, I was never put on restriction. It was, you go and do this work. And when you're finished, then you're not in trouble anymore. Okay. Yeah, it was in the vineyard. A lot of that was hoeing weeds, painting fences, um, I do remember one of our first dates, though. You came over to my house, and we were going to make spaghetti. And he showed up. This is a surfer boy in San Diego. And he showed up with a bottle of wine. And I remember thinking, okay, well, that's a step up from the typical San Diego surfer. And so, yeah, and you brought wine. And it was a Peachy Canyon. And the story unfolded, you know. It wasn't definitely on my radar. I didn't have the appreciation, you know, when... We, there was, you know, eight or nine wineries when I was a kid, including Peachy. So even my friends 
we didn't, the winery was just a job. It wasn't like, oh, let's go out to the winery and go sneak bottles of wine or let's go do this or go do that. It was, you know, it, it just was there. Yeah. And so it wasn't even when I was off of college, I didn't have an appreciation really for what it was. And my parents never pushed us to, to have a need or a want for it. Um, I do now wish they would have guided me maybe a little more, like, you know, maybe pointed a direction to go, not to come into the winery right away. Um, it wasn't until after I graduated from college and I was just managing a surf shop and they were moving the tasting room that I got the call like, hey, we need your help now. We need you to come and do all our POS and get our inventory and our, mm-hmm. our tasting room up and running. We're busy doing uh, all this other stuff. Just come for like two or three weeks and two or three weeks went by and then, oh, we're short for harvest. Do you want to stay for harvest? <laughs> And then 24 harvests later, here we are. (laughs) 24 harvests later. All right. Okay. So um, the, I don't know if you remember which the wine was, but uh, I think one of the most popular wines when we first discovered um, Peachy Canyon was uh, Jester. Oh yeah. The Jester. (laughs) Which then became Cirque du Vin. Yeah. Right. Still do Cirque du Vin. Um, we, uh, yeah, our Bordeaux blend. It's a great price point. It's an easy drinking, very approachable, everyday kind of nice red that was that we still enjoy doing. I had a, I had a friend um, in New Jersey that every time we came out to Paso, I had to buy bring home a case of Jester for her. That she she was addicted to it. I, I think it's a wonderful wine, but she was addicted to it. It really was. <laughs> it really was. Um, so then you you traveled to Margaret River to. So this always blows my mind and I, I kind of want to do it, but you know, I've never bit it off to do that, but like you just got up and went Gypsy, did you go with him or? <laughs> yeah. So actually, I think, I mean, I, I had grown up, my parents worked and lived in Australia for a couple of years. And so, oh. so in my childhood, Australia was a hot topic. Um, we had kangaroo um, a kangaroo skin and a didgeridoo at our house. And my parents always talked, reminisced. And so then with the wine industry, we kind of looked for places where Josh could get some experience. We could go somewhere where there was surf and it was, you know, Australia is kind of a one-stop shop for that. And Margaret River was a good, that was a good. And a friend of ours had connections there. Yeah, Daniel Shaw, who was a winemaker at J. Lore a long time ago, and then he hooked us up with the winemaker at Cape Ventel. So, and so how how's that? Like thinking about what you learned there to to bring back to here. It was. I wish I would have. We could have done it many more times. Yeah. I, I would, if our kids ever wanted to get in the wine industry, I would. You know, and I would probably lean towards like a four or five times go do that in different mm-hmm. places all over the world. Right. Um, I have interns right now from Moldova, Mexico, New Zealand, and Argent- uh, Argentina. I think yeah. it's an amazing experience. And for us, it was the winemaking was a great, you know, I learned a lot of like seller tricks and seller things, the way they did safety protocols. And- the, the company that, that came and tell was huge. And so, you know, in comparison, Peachy Canyon, it was a, a big jump up to a more corporate guided winery. Um, the living on site, the, yeah. the hours, the shifts, how they ran it. 24 hour yeah. shifts. Yeah. And we lived in a little shack on the winery behind the main house. That was an earth rammed house, which is popular in Australia. There's, there's a couple of them in Paso, but yeah, the earth rammed homes and they, they did a nice job. I thought we, we really loved the fact that they had a they had a woman who cooked for the the harvest crew twenty four hours. She kept her open every day at all times. You could come in and get all sorts of exotic what what I thought was exotic, you know. And here at, we were twenty in our early twenties. Mm. It's like what's doll and you know just crazy these crazy stews and um, and she just kept it all ready. So that was a big takeaway, especially for us, for me, it was like, Oh, this is a cool cultural experience for or a, a cool culture to create in the winery. And so when we came back, that was a it big push. push that, yeah. yeah, 
for both of us. I cooked with, well, we had to come home because I got pregnant. And um, so we brought a Sydney home. And <laughs> so I cooked all the time with Sydney on my front, Sydney on my back. And every harvest we, mm-hmm. we put together. I mean, sometimes I'm, at the beginning, I used to cook like two or three meals a day for 15 to 16 people, five, six days a week. I was there all the time. Wow. So it was full on. And yeah. And the winemaking was cool. I mean, it was a lot of different type, different techniques. It wasn't like earth shattering, like there's like changed everything, but there was little, you know, how they stored full barrels and what devices they used to do pump overs and how even what type of how hose fittings and valves and just little stuff like that, which is really cool. And then working with different variety, like I never get to work with Semillon, Semillon or Sauvignon Blanc, right? You know, in Paso, there's very little, if any. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that was cool. And they did have a little bit of Zinfandel. That was kind of another, when nobody has it down there, but they did make a bit, which was kind of fun to go and, you know, talk about what I did at home, back home and what they did and how it worked. And it was a, I couldn't, I wish we could have done it a lot more. Mm. Absolutely. And did any of those techniques that you learned over there or viewed over there, have you incorporated them into your winemaking style now? Mm, not in particular, just it would, I think if we lean, it was more the culture that they had mm-hmm. created. That was what we really has stuck. Mm-hmm. Like the really, really. Starting in the, starting in the vineyard yeah. and really supporting the harvest crew through harvest, yeah. making that a priority is. You can have all the cool equipment and all the cool tricks, but if you got a, a seller team that's not happy and taking right. short and or too tired or just are hungry those that you know you'll make mistakes, make mistakes. right it's it's huge it I, think, I think you kind of liken it to um cooking and they always say when you're cooking if you if you lead with love if you cook with love the food tastes better you know and if you have a harvest crew that is happy and joyful and having fun in their trade the wine tastes better <laughs> I get it. Yeah. And not only are they enjoying what they're doing, I, you know, there there's wineries that play music for the grapes and things like that. It, you know, it's just a happy environment makes a happy product. I agree with it. Absolutely. <laughs> now, from there, you went, you also did chronic sellers with your brother. Okay? Mm-hmm. And we'll go through that really quickly. But the names, because the reason why I wanted to bring up Chronic Cellar is because of the names of the wines. And although the wines here with the video are not as risque as Chronic Cellars, the names are really clever. So who's coming up with these names? Um, on the Chronic front, I came up with the Chronic Cellars concept and name. And then pretty much everything after that was my brother. Okay. He's a little, he's clever, he's clever and quick witted and yeah. smart ass. And he's just, he can, he really can like play on words. Like he's very good at it and uh, taking things and making something, you know, into, you know, nothing into something or whatever it is. Um, he's, he's really good at that. And, and then they always kind of had a, some sort of a story or how they would correlate with the label and with Joe, the artist, what he would do and, um, but then now, since then, it's been Gibbsy, really, yeah. on the Thibodeau yeah. stuff. Yeah. So I love the names. I I love the cleverness. So let first, let's talk about the Best Day Rosé. So this is a 2021 Best Day Rosé. So um, where, I, I know you have your own vineyard. So is, you planted the vineyard in 2019? Yeah. Okay. So where are you getting this fruit? Where are you getting this fruit from? Uh, that is from the estate. That's the oh, first. Okay. So 2021 was the first very, very, very light crop. There was literally only four clusters per plant on the whole vineyard. Um, we've, the last two years have been painful with how much fruit we've put on the ground. But um, yeah, we wanted to do, you know, it was third leaf. We just wanted to test it out and play with it. And we did it. We, the reds are still in barrel from 21. We have like a barrel variety. 
And then, but the rosé, we were able to come out, you know, come out with a little bit earlier. So that's the first wine off of the estate. Okay. So best day rosé, What it's 100% Grenache. Now I am a Grenache fiend. I absolutely love it. So the, what uh, grapes are you growing besides the Grenache? You have like Movedra on it, right? You have Zinfandel, which we are going to get to because that's that's pretty cool. Um, but what else? What else are you growing there? Two different clones of Syrah, Carignan, Petite Syrah, and then the three different clones of Zin, and uh, two different blocks of Grenache. One, you know, like two different growing styles. So that comes that particular the rosé comes from a vertical cordon. Um, right. And we have another block where it's on a VSP up on a wire, more traditional. Okay. So what, talk us through what it was like to, so you're in the Willow Creek AVA. Okay. What's so special about the Willow Creek AVA that you decided this is, this is where we're going to plant? Um, It's, you know, there's, you know, all, you know, all of Paso is special, which, you know, it, it does so many things so well, which is kind of, almost a frustrating part of Paso because we can grow a lot of things really well, but the Willow Creek, it, you know, it's, it's proximity to the ocean. It's proximity to the Templeton gap. It does, it cools down a lot quicker. It's degree days are shorter, but, but it does get a temperature that we want, but it'll definitely cool off a lot quicker and not stay as hot for as long as other parts of the ABA. Um, it's calcareous, chalky limestone that it you know that's it's got unbelievable water retention um it's you know with that particular soil makeup it can be if if you do irrigate it's a minimal amount um there's a lot of dry farm non-irrigated stuff on the willow creek and adelaide districts um, this particular place was just a clean slate you know uh, um, hillside, you know, with, you know, west, south, east, north facing orientation. So we could really get creative. It had a little bit of everything. And it was, I had seen over the years, the wines that were coming in particular out of the Willow Creek. I had purchased fruit from different vineyards out of the Willow Creek. Um, we for have chronic. for chronic and peachy and, yeah. and, and then all our friends do out of there. Uh, we have vineyards in the Adelaide and Templeton Gap prior, and but we have never had our own vineyard in the Willow Creek. And it was just something I always wanted to do. I always wanted to be able to hang our hat on it and and especially to have a clean slate. It was more affordable also without somebody already planting it. <laughs> we went year after year after year. Josh would drive around, you know, every harvest or during throughout the year, and he'd be sourcing fruit for chronic or sourcing fruit for peachy. And he'd say, Ooh, I see a vineyard that's for sale. Look it up. You know? And so we look it up and we go look at it. And then we push the pencil and go, Oh, I can't afford it. And that went on for years. And, you know, we kept looking and I can like, I can rattle off in my mind. I'm having all these memories of all these vineyards and drove around and, you know, looked and tried to figure out how we could anyway, in the end, um, the only thing that we really could swing was raw dirt. And, and we thought, well, that's fine. We'll just plant it and work it out. And that's, uh, that's why nobody buys raw land either, because it's really hard to do. I mean, it takes so much patience and so much investment and so much time. So yeah, it was, uh, it was, but if you're into it, it's worth it. It was worth it. It's finally worth it. This is our <laughs> harvest. So we've arrived, but yeah, it was a long, it was a long haul. So now, when you chose that site and you, how did you decide which varieties you were going to plant there? Like that's science in its own right to know which varieties go where. And you've got, you said you've got North, South, all these directions. How do you choose what goes where? Definitely on the orientation stuff, you know, what's going to, what can handle more exposure, less exposure, what's going to be a late ripener, like Moved, like, okay, we need, we're not going to put Moved somewhere where it's not as ex much exposure. It's going to be hanging out there forever. And maybe the Grenache, we don't want to be right in direct sunlight and extreme heat. Um, so we definitely played with that a lot. Like, or like where, what's going to be picked first, what's going to hang late. Um, chose 1103p on the rootstock on everything except some of the zen just because it's does very has good vigor but also great um 
needs very little water as an awesome tap root, awesome root system that'll go and thrive and find its own water. So we had to do minimal irrigation. And I think it was just laying out, it was a lot of orientation of where it was exposure, what could handle the most exposure and, and be able to hang in there on these hot days. Like we're coming into today was, you know, high 80s. And then the rest of the week now they're saying it's going to be 110. Right. This weekend is hitting 111. So, um, yeah, and and I and then I when I had kind of doubts or or kind of maybe even questioned on how what how would the Grenache say per, per se handle that exposure? So I went extreme. I said, well, then we're going to put one Grenache facing straight east, so it's just going to get a lot of morning exposure. And then I did play with one going straight west southwest and see okay let's see what it can do and let's see the different ripening and how the season you know and how these vines hold up and so far they're both still hanging in they're great but uh, and then they'll add if you they'll add complexity to to the wine because they're going to be growing differently and they're going to have different characteristics absolutely did the same thing with Syrah as well and then what's the what's the reasoning behind the two different um trellising systems um i've always been a huge fan of like head pruned you know zen you know and i really mm-hmm. think and i i don't know why but i think zinfandel really lends itself to growing better that way and producing optimum fruit that way it's not cost effective because you can you know the the lack of vines per acre when you start doing that dry farm or that head prune stuff um just because you can't get through a equipment through and if you know you if you're especially dry farming you're going to hit it multiple ways but i've always wanted to do i've seen the rounds in the you know the vertical head or the head print stuff it does phenomenal and it's like i don't it's like i don't question authority right like I, why would i question what these other people are doing if they're doing it well we should be able to do it as well not better um, so we ended up doing Syrah, Grenache and Zinfandel in that vertical head. Um, and all, and they're just thriving They're They just, I don't, they just look happier. It looks more natural. I don't know. It's a, you know, you put them in, you, I, I'm almost to this day now. I'm like, I should have done the whole vineyard that way, but it's way more labor intensive Okay. with the ballerina and the sprawl and having to tuck and move and, when you got all this wire and structure and tucking and it, you know, the vines, they look too perfect almost. Everything's too exposed where you let things in their natural habitat. It's the, the fruit likes it. The airflow is um, unbelievable. The shade, natural shading is unbelievable. It can really do all these things that all of a sudden the VSP, now I got to buy shade cloth and now I got to do this. And now I got to tuck and because I want more exposure on this side, but I don't want it on this side where this natural, sprawl it just it just it works and in terms of the zinfandel you did it on its own rootstock so you like being a little risky huh little chance the theme is experimental we're very experimental okay yeah if you saw what i (laughs) today i went into i i did some syrah i did like 50 percent of it in the concrete and just said, just load it up. And then if it doesn't fit, just get in there and foot shred it. And then we're going to go 50% destemmed on top of it. And I don't want to add no SO2, no nutrients, no acid, no yeast, no nothing. We're just going to go and see. Let's just, let's go for it and see and what happens. for the bed fall? Yeah, whatever. Whatever works. <laughs> <laughs> and I love experimenting. It keeps me energized. Um, it keeps me enthusiastic. But if I can, I mean, I'm not beholden to any of that either. If that tank starts to go weird or, you know, or we're running, you know, nutrient yams on it and the nutrients are not there and it starts to get, I'll throw it at it. I'm not going to like go, I'm going to risk ruining this wine because of that. I won't do that. But I like, but the own rooted stuff as well. Like, you know, yeah. Okay. Your risk to phylloxera and yeah, and this and that, but the old Zen vineyards that are all on their native roots that are still kicking make some of the best Zen in the world. And I was able to get cuttings, you know, wood from the Uberoth vineyard, which is an historic vineyard here. It's like a bow down vineyard. <laughs> if I could do that and then 
keep it as a hundred percent. You know, we manipulate everything from how we plant it and all the way to what we do in the winery. But if I could put these vines in the ground as is and see, and the, the, the little we got off of it last year was unbelievable. And this year it looks just as good, if not better. Um, and then I did two other clones, some Mendocino clones that from the heritage block that I really liked through our experiments in the past. And those are on 1103, but so, yeah. Okay. So, you know, you, you, you dive, you, you zig, yeah. you zag, you weave, you see what, what works, what doesn't work. And, you know, you get the drop mic sometimes and sometimes you gotta, you know, but I think if, if we even as Thibodeau want to have, like, you know, right now, like you're in the business and you know how hard it is to sell a bottle of wine. And if we just go the same trajectory and the path that I know is comfortable and easy and we'll get, we'll get the product and we'll get the wine, but we'll, who, who does that make us? And why are we different? And who, when somebody asks, what is Thibodeau? I have to have something, some sort of a story and something to, separate from peachy and chronic and what we've done historically so so i'm gonna ask what it because i just realized i said it wrong um Thibia. yeah <laughs> how do you say it again Thibodeau. 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 so i threw in an extra syllable in there i was like the video oh, wow. <laughs> so where does that name comes from that's a family name that's actually josh's mom's last name her oh, maiden. okay and the Thibodeau family um it's spelled almost identical to the family name um we changed one vowel but it was a way for us you know when, when chronic started it's a very masculine sort of push the envelope label and so this was the counterpart to it in the sense that we wanted to honor the Josh's mom's side and the whole, we have two daughters and kind of spin it in a more feminine way. Um, but the Thibodeau family in San Diego was based in Vista actually. And really, uh, we've always just admired everything that they've done. They're super into their community, supportive of the family, um, giving back and opening their doors and um, really connecting with people. And I think Josh's parents did a beautiful job of that with Peachy Canyon. And so for us, we thought, you know, this would be a really great way to pay homage to that family legacy. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And we've, so go ahead, Josh. Chronic and stuff, right? We've gotten creative and made names and from Jester to Sofa King to all this stuff. We're like, let's do, that's something that actually sticks. Carries the legacy yeah. on. Yeah. I mean, because as second generation, it's important to carry that legacy on for us. Yeah. And so the, your Grenache Blanc, which I, you know, what I, you are making all of my favorite varieties here. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Grenache Blanc is called first date. So mm -hmm. gives it get, did is he, but you didn't bring a Grenache Blanc on that first date. Did you? Definitely no. a Zinfandel. Okay. <laughs> it was definitely a Zinfandel. Um, no, Grenache Blanc was an opportunity, I think, to just sort of, create something that I'm always begging Josh to make whites or any wine that's a mm -hmm. lower alcohol. Paso Robles is such a high octane region. And I feel like I'm gravitating more in my wiser years. Um, toward <laughs> I like the, how you say that. <laughs> alcohol wines that maybe are a little bit more refined on the palate. I think the Grenache Blanc is such a great um, acidic wine that has this beautiful, it, it's just so flexible and fun and citrusy. And, um, it, it's brings so much to the table as far as being able to drink it by itself, or it pairs really well with some unexpected foods. So we've just been really happy with that program and Josh nailed it for me because I wanted a white and, and we're making the wines. He's making the wines that I want to drink, which works out really well for everybody. I think as long as I'm happy. Right. Well, happy wife, right? Happy life. Right? That's what my husband says all the time. <laughs> it does well. It really does well in Paso as a varietal. The white rounds in particular, um, they thrive and they can handle the extremes. Uh, we've been fortunate to source a little bit of the white. I didn't plant into white. That was from the La Vista Vineyard, which is out in the Adelaide district. By, it's out by Halter Ranch, Tablas Creek, kind of out in that zone. 
And now, a word from our sponsor. Did you know that Dracina Wines has a wine club? We named it the Chalk Club. Draco is on our label, but Vegas was getting a bit jealous, so we decided he deserved to be our wine club spokesdog. In Las Vegas, betting chalk means that you are betting on all of the favorites, and we're gambling that once you taste our wines, we will become one of your favorite wineries. The club is simple, yet a bit different than most. We don't ask for a lot of commitment like others do. Choose between three tiers. The Sweet 16, where you'll receive three bottles twice a year and get 25% off all orders. Sign up for the Elite 8 and get 30% off all orders and receive four bottles twice a year. Or make it to the final four and receive six bottles twice a year, as well as receiving 35% off all purchases. All tiers receive discounted shipping, are customizable, and are eligible for unlimited referral bonuses. Add $15 to your bank for each person you refer. Head to www.dracinawines.com or the link in the show notes to find out all the Chalk Club has to offer and to sign up. We've stocked the odds so that you can get our award-winning wines without breaking the bank. That wine is um, really unique in that we... we have a an amphora a terracotta pot for it and that's how we how josh finified it and um aged it and mm-hmm. and that was an experiment in and of itself and we've done it for two vintages now and it's been really successful and super mm-hmm. fun i think we'll continue to u- utilize that amphora and i want another that. one but i don't know if i can <laughs> buy one this year i want <laughs> what um what do you think the amphora adds to the Grenache Blanc? Um, you know, I get, I do get, I get that question a lot. And I do think. I'll interrupt him for a second and just say that it, it makes him frustrated sometimes because it's only an 80 gallon. Yeah. It's so small. It's really it's hard really, to work with. Um, so it's frustrating. Um, Challenging. I, say. I, I like the, the ageability, the porous, the, you know, the kind of like concrete, but not like concrete at the same time. Um, I like the, the age of, you know, you're not getting into these off, whether new or neutral or off, you know, flavors, aromas from barrels. Um, you're getting the ageability that you wouldn't get in stainless, you know, you know, like I do like to ferment in stainless as well. Whites, reds, rosés, um, especially whites and rosés when you can keep them nice and cold and they can tip along real slow. Um, these, you can't retain, you know, there's no temperature control on the terracotta, obviously. Um, but it's a nice, it's a good shape. So it does have natural convection. So you do get a little bit of a natural lease stirring, which is nice. Um, I don't get these clay flavor, you know, sometimes people, the concrete, you know, there's a little minerality, I guess there's a little bit of complexity for sure. Um, I don't really pick up a lot of things, aromas and flavors from the terracotta, but I do the the way that it allows it to ferment and breathe and evolve is it it it, it works very well. And then how many cases are you, how many cases did you produce of this? This is the 2020 I have. 30. They're, okay. That's all we can. So, so in that's really all you can in the 80, right? <laughs> I don't and I'm to that point where that's why I want another one. It, it, I don't want to I've, I've done this a hundred times where you make this awesome wine in concrete but it's not, not enough. So then you got to blend it with something else that wasn't concrete. So you kind of don't have the same wine anymore or this. I'm like, we're going to do this same for We're going to make the wine. It is what it is. That's all we get. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what about cool. the 2021? Was it a little bit more? Same, same amount. Yeah. It's a totally different color. Which is, is interesting. Yeah. Wow. It's a totally different color. This, the 2020 that you have has this kind of a green brightness to it. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of a light. Oh, and then the 2021 came out really more, golden hay color. It's more really traditional pretty. looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mother nature, different, different. Oh, oxygen. I think we, I think. Oh, uh, oh, once it came out of the amphora, you mean. Exposed oh. a little bit. And then how are you, how are you processing that? Uh, just direct to press and then just straight to the amphora. Okay. But you're, um, de-stemming or you're doing whole cluster of that whole cluster just straight to press okay yeah just press squeeze it and that's it no no skin contact besides in the press okay 
And what about the rosé, the best day rosé? Same. Same. And there's a straight to press and then to neutral barrel. Neutral barrel. Okay. Oh, okay. So no, complete neutral barrel or are you doing a mixture of stainless and mixture and a neutral? I mean, it's, you're talking days to settle. Okay. Yeah. Over, but that's it. Yeah. Okay. And then we have Just Because Syrah 2020. And this is from your estate? Not the first. That is from Homestead Hill. This one's Homestead. Like okay. right next door to our estate. Okay. Like, well, I can shoot his water tank with a 22. Right? <laughs> Yeah, we're good friends with Sherman and Michelle Thatcher. Thatcher, they were kind enough to throw us a bone and and let us buy some Syrah from them when we were first first getting started all ten months ago. Well, I guess before before we launched, but um, yeah, we launched in October twenty twenty one. So that was the wine that we came out with that in the first date, and uh, and they've continued to be supportive. Mm -hmm. We're actually going to do a collaborative dinner at Thatcher Winery in October. Um, Very nice. Sure, both the Just Because 2020 and then um, Josh makes the second wine out of this. The He splits the lot of grapes and then the second wine is the Bedfellow and that's the traditional Syrah. And so we're going to do a little food and wine pairing and um, so yeah, you can buy tickets on Thatcher Winery. I'm just going to plug it right now. There you go. Out, but um, yeah, you can buy the tickets on Thatcher Winery. Michelle and Sherman and Josh and I will be there. We will be your hosts and uh, should be a really fun fun night yeah and i can link that up into the into the show notes too so that they can uh link into there so but this so this is carbonic maceration correct that's crazy i love it super fun totally different another experiment another experiment i've never done experiment that's gonna stay i guess yes i just loaded the third vintage today i picked it this morning Mm. um wow very, it's not your traditional carbonic by any means. It's, you know, you, it's not Pinot Noir or Grenache. Um, we don't, when traditional carbonics, you know, they load in a tank and then they'll each day or every other day, you know, bleed all the juice and slowly keep pooling the juice to make that nouveau-ish, you know, lighter style wine where um, they don't remove any juice. They leave it the whole time. So the, yeah, so obviously you get, yeah, some- you can see it's, it's not, see, you can't see through it. No. So the 2020, we left in the ferment for seven weeks. Um, did not touch it. Did not. Every, you would sniff I would, it I could bear, I can, I can smell it and that's it. I can't, taste it, can't open it. Can't do anything. I can smell it just to make sure that we're still, you know, producing CO2 and, you know, that the wine's protected and um, yeah, just loaded it up. Didn't do a crazy sort or anything. It's a super natural, just load it up, you know, purge it of all its oxygen with some CO2, wrap it up and you can walk away. It's, it's actually very easy winemaking, but it's extremely risky winemaking. I didn't say that's a, it, it, there's not a lot of hands-on, but it is nerve-wracking. Yeah, it's very, like, when you have to week after week after week, penny after penny after penny on the line, right? It's like, okay, was this going to work? Um, so I love it, though. It's almost like you can smell the cellar. It's got fresh baked breads and spices and yeast and there's the aromas and you get the Syrah and everything, but you, it's a well, we like to reference kind of like a summer red, a summer Syrah, where it's not overly tannic. It's not overly gamey or meaty. It has all those things you're looking for, but it's very approachable. But with these other aromas from that carbonic ferment that are super cool. Yeah, the um, I, I was at an event this weekend and I was tasting somebody else's um, Syrah. And as soon as I put it up, I'm like, oh, it's it. They didn't even tell me it was a Syrah, but like, I'm like, oh, this is a Syrah. The meat just was, and this, this, the smoke, not, you know, now you have to say the right smoke, <laughs> right? These days, um, you know, that, that was in there. Um, and it was so powerful. And it was a beautiful, beautiful wine. This is beautiful in a different, in a different way. Um, I would not, everybody we, that has tried it, 
from friends to critics to, you know, are blown away. Like they have a preconceived notion of what it's, oh, I carbonic, I know what carbonics want. And then all of a sudden they're like, whoa, this is like no carbonic I've ever had. Yeah. Uh, and very, you know, appreciative for what it is, right? It's not, it's fun. And it's a, a Syrah that's fun, not over, overly serious, overly big, overly needing a hefty meal to right. go um it's a yeah it's it's a ton of fun we should probably change its name to like the eyebrow razor or something because i do feel like everybody that tastes it they kind of like wow wow yeah yeah the it's very high acidic the very Mm -hmm. high acidic wine to me um and the like you said the baking spice is there and there is there is the smoked meat it's there but it's it's like kind of and this isn't a bad thing it's kind of like the afterthought it's like, yeah. you know, it's not in your face there, but it's, it, it is, I think eye razor or eyebrow razor is a great name because you just, it's just something so different, yeah. um, you know, than, than you expect. And then when you think it's different as a regular Syrah, as a typical Syrah, and it's different than a, what you expect with a carbonic, yeah. you know, yeah. it's Fine. For sure. We were in 35 cases of that, I think. And we're down to the last, I don't know, eight or something like that. So, and the 2021 is almost ready to, we'll release that in October. And how does that, how does that um, compare to, to this? Is it? I wanted to push the envelope a little more. So we went, no, <laughs> we, went, um, we went 11 weeks or no, 10 weeks, 10 weeks, yeah. 10 weeks yeah. instead of seven. So mm-hmm. it has aromatically, I think they're very um, similar, but the flavor profile, the mouthfeel, it has more weight, more That's tannin yeah. um, with that, That's you know, similar. a little added skin time and stem time. It feels like a little bit, maybe a little bit more sophisticated siblings. Yeah. It's got yeah. a little bit more, more yeah. to it. Which is but, fun. Um, it's interesting because it's really the body. It's a light, you know, it's a lighter Syrah. So that's the carbonic, at, the, that's the carbonic part of it. But the, the finish is, is not carbonic. The finish is just like constantly going and, you know, for the the next vintage is even a step up from that for sure and i think uh i will definitely keep we'll see this year this year i told them today i told them we were going bigger and longer that we'll see (laughs) (laughs) i don't know that 10 that 10 week one i really do like the 21 and we haven't it has only hasn't been bottled for that long so we'll i'll probably in the next couple of weeks while this 22 is going, I'll, I'll taste that and see, do, you know, is that enough or should we push it a little further? And so all together, how many cases are you producing? <laughs> like 150. Yeah. Okay. We're on- it's like, it's really your first vintage really, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah, we, we, we make, we have plans to grow to a point where we can like this year, we, we have two wine club shipments, but we can't really fill those with, we don't have that six new wines, you know? So next year we'll be in full production Mm -hmm. and that that's a goal for us. And I think, you know, we, we have no intention of going big like peachy Canyon or chronic. We, you know, what we really want to do is make it authentic and we handle everything ourselves. Um, if you put an order in on our website, I will handle the shipping and everything. If you're tasting a wine, Josh's hands were on it from beginning to end. And I think that's kind of, we're delighting in experimenting in an industry that we've been in for so long. And it, it, you know, it gets old after a while you're doing the same thing. You're producing the same wines. Um, we've really had fun. I mean, you can, if you can't see it on Josh's face, you can hear it in his voice, the excitement about trying something new and, um, yeah, it's been fun, but I think for us, it, it, it may be 500. Josh says a thousand cases. I'm more in the 500 range, but it's really just making it the wines that we want to make and sharing them with people who would like to get to know them better. Just like, you know, we are. So it's fun. Depends on how we're sharing some of the fruit this year with some of our friends. So if 
if I might have to be, if they want to keep coming back for it, if you know, that, that would be hard to cut them off, but we'll see. So yeah, our state fruit that was, that's picked this year, we were able to um, share it. So yeah, Scott Holly from Torin was there. We raised our kids together. So he was there this morning taking his fruit and yeah, it's fun to, it's fun to collaborate in that way. Torin is going to take some Stanley, Stanley over at top winery is going to take yeah. some, um, Mac over at McChrice Myers gonna take a little, and then Peachy obviously mm -hmm. take theirs. And it'll be cool. I'm super. I'm as excited to see what my friends, colleagues, you know, what they do with the fruit that we've worked so hard on getting to this point. Like, right? Know. Like you could have you could have a party where that you know you're tasting your yeah. vineyard and everybody yeah. else's expression. Yeah. In two years, like, hey, you guys come over. We'll do dinner. Let's try all the, I would really want to try all the wines with you guys. And, From our estate vineyard. Yeah, yeah. It's exciting. Now these wines are all 100% uh, of the varietal that it is, but you planted varieties that like to play together. So already. Yeah. You have a so yeah, like barrel. in 21, I did a Syrah Grenache co-ferment. Uh, oh, okay. In barrel. And then we have, when I, I've already done some trials on the 21 blending. Um, right here in our living room yeah. where we're sitting. <laughs> the way it goes, yep. Fun, <laughs> yeah. Then um, some Moved Carignan, a, definitely a Carignan heavy, Carignan base wine. They'll definitely, I've blended so much for so long, with, especially with Chronic, you know. Um, it is definitely a winemaker's vineyard where if I we were just growers, we would have planted one varietal and have been way easier to sell and grow and Less do everything the same yeah. instead of having, you know, an acre of this and an acre of that and an acre of that. Where it's like, okay, don't do this to that one, do that to that one. But I know it, I saw your I saw your plot map, your of of your acreage. I was like, wow. <laughs> My friends who are just growers are like, dude, you're got rocks in your head. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but it gives us the opportunity. Like, I really want to to be, you know, to do Thibodeau the way and to get it to where, you know, whether it's five hundred, a thousand cases, but to have those options off of just our estate is huge. Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to do as many reds and rosés, and you know, the only thing we don't have is white, but maybe someday we'll graph something on them. And Carignan, I, I seriously, I, I love all these, you know, Carignan is such a fun grape, such a fun variety to, um, I mean, I haven't worked with it, but I've tasted a lot of it because I love it so much. And it's just a fun grape and it, it's a very expressive grape to me that, you know, very much takes on what the vineyard I'm excited. Yeah, I don't. Uh, right now, the the little we have in barrel, the guys in the cellar are kicking me already for even messing with blending with it. They like it's so good on its own, and it's so cool that we'll I see. I feel like you blended it up, and then, and then you then kind, I kind of, of like dialed it back, yeah. and it really is. It's it like you said, it's very unique and special to where it's so distinct in the lineup. Like you start tweaking it a little bit, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, you're just Everything's now starting to taste the same. Like, leave, let it be its own person. Let right. it be you know, its own course. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I will volunteer to taste that whenever you're looking yeah. to, you know, let's see what, let's see what the Carignan is doing. I, I will be there instantaneously for you. <laughs> I am at your mercy <laughs> for that. <laughs> So um, the other thing that I absolutely loved on your site is that you really um, are into nature or I should say environment and that you have purposely, um, you know, how you package the wines and everything you use is so sustainable in terms of, of that. So has, have you always been that, that way or, you know, like, it seems to be a very strong statement with the Bido. I think. Well, you do package first. Yeah. I, um, I think for us being coming from Peachy Canyon and, you know, you start talking about producing large cases of large lots of wines mm -hmm. and every penny counts and, and you have to look at it 
from a business perspective, right? Um, and same with chronic, it as it sold and things were adjusting, you you can't really you can't pay as close of attention to the details because you're on a larger scale. With this project, when we sat down and said, okay, we're going to package this wine, it was really important to us to um, choose the things that were the most environmentally conscious. And, and so that excluded a, a, an unnecessary foil or, um, or a wax closure. It, it's wasteful. We don't need it, um, especially because we're an online-only brand. If we're shipping it, it, you know, we really try to get people to, we have three bottle boxes and six bottle boxes. It's like, please, if you buy a three bottle box, we will knock $5 off your shipping so that you can fill the box because we really want to make it count if we're going to ship it. Um, the glass is super lightweight. Yeah. The days of, you know, the heavy glass, just a, as light as we could and just, it's the same look. It just doesn't feel a hundred pounds. It's definitely bucking the trend for the luxury you know i mean it costs us a lot to produce it but how funny is that right it costs you so much money to produce a lighter bottle lighter right. bottle um this but you know what the the bottles are kind of like to me that happy medium because i have felt lightweight bottles that are like you know you pick it up and it goes flying right. um and these they're lightweight i can tell they're lightweight but they're quality lightweight <laughs> it, yeah, they're, they're not that flat bottom, super cheap. Like that, it, that was like, okay, that it, it wouldn't work. Right. Um, yeah, we, uh, we, the paper, the label. yeah, we tried really hard to go with uh, the most environmentally friendly paper. So every collateral that you get in our shipment is 100% post consumer waste. And our label paper, though problematic, is 100% post consumer waste. And I say problematic because yet another experiment we did. Um, the 2020 labels um, are a, a large wrap label. And when they came through the bottling line, <clears throat> they bubbled and we thought, oh gosh, the label too big. So um, yeah, so the 2021, uh, the label, we, we shrunk the size down a little bit and we bottled them and, and they um, bubbled again. And so what we've realized is nobody really uses 100% post-consumer waste paper. It's not treated. We don't have it waterproofed. It's like as minimal, as natural of a state that we could get. But because it's it's so thin, it just bubbles. And so um, after two... It doesn't stretch and really it won't because it's... It doesn't straight. adhere to the bottle. Oh, okay. Papers or the one, you know. So we're trying to just... Um, embrace the bubbles as you know the more bubbles the more environmentally friendly these bottles are <laughs> like when you put that in an ice bath that thing just goes to disintegrates <laughs> but it's still there it just kind of gets all wrinkly and weird yeah yeah and so, gives, do you do all of the labels i mean this this rosé is i mean all of the labels are cool but this is beautiful Thank you. Yeah. So um, that's been a really fun experiment for me. Um, I've worked on labels through, I mean, I helped with the Peachy Canyon labels for a long time. We revamped the new labels for Peachy Canyon the last couple of years. You'll see the new um, blue labels that came out. That was kind of um, part of my project. And I, I hooked up with my sister, who's a graphic design artist, when we were looking for a, a refresh on Peachy Canyon. And She's been a graphic design artist for decades, um, but didn't really specialize in labels. She'd done a little bit. And I thought, well, she's easy to work with and people like. And so we went through the process with Peachy Canyon and it was so easy for me to communicate. And so for Thibodeau, it was, a, it was such a fun way to move forward because, um, you know, I could just sort of think it and she, she understood it. Mm -hmm. So that, so the first two labels that we did were pretty safe and the best day rosé, it was like, throw caution to the wind. Let's put, there's a little whimsy in there. You'll find, you know, there's some animals with sunglasses or, you know, there's some wine drinking mice on it. And we really <laughs> just put some cute little fun things in there. So when you put it on your, you know, set it on your dinner table or, you know, bring it over to a friend's there's, there's topic of conversation. Right. It's a conversation piece. The little owl with the glasses at, I'm looking for the mice. I don't see the, I don't, I'll, I'll find the mice later. Oh, there he is. There he is. I see him. <laughs> there, there. 
Okay. And even like you have like cool, like it's like in the background of the label is the best day. Like, yeah. so it, it's just, a it's a beautiful label and it's, it, it's so natural. Like they're, they're all natural, you know, they're um, right. they keep, they'll keep evolving. And that's kind of the fun part about having such a small brand We're we're not distributed you know, across the nation. And, and so we don't really have to hold shelf space. So we like to think that every wine club experience, every shipment that they get is a kind of a fun surprise. It's a gift, you know, and, and it'll keep evolving and changing and, and that's fun for me. Well, I, I think they're beautiful. I, I really do. So, you know, kudos to you. Uh, so where, um, where can people, oh no, actually, before we even get to where can people find you, the other thing is, is you give back so much. You're part of Must Charities and the um, 1% for the Planet. So uh, can you explain what 1% for the Planet is and Must Charities and why you feel, we're, you know, they're worthy? Um, part of the, part of, paying homage to the Thibodeau name was to follow in that, in the footsteps of that family. And so it was important for us to establish uh, giving back. And um, it seemed like a pretty natural uh, choice to go with must charities. It's local. It's all funded by all the, the entire wine industry. It's super cool organization. They just raised $2.5 million to give back to the community just this wow. month. And so um, it's definitely gaining ground. So we feel really proud to be a part of that. Um, and that's been really a, a, a fun way to feel connected locally. Um, the 1% for the planet was our way of going beyond, beyond just the wine industry. Beyond, you know, we wanted to recognize that we are farmers first and we're all about making sure that we can pass our vineyard on to the next generation and make sure that we have a planet that is self-sustaining and we're not there right now, obviously, but any, anything that we could do as a brand was important. So 1% for the planet was the best way that we thought we could move forward with that. That's beautiful. I give you so much credit. We love to give back also. Um, we, we have on our site that you can work with us for whatever charity and we'll work with them. It's really only the animal charities that reach out to us. The humans don't want to reach out to us, but we have, you know, maybe because there's a dog on our label, it's all, you know, it's all the charities that want to reach out. But um, it's so important to, I think, to accept that we're lucky to be where we are and to be doing something that we love so much and it to be able to give back is it is an important thing for, for us also. So thank you for doing that. Okay. Now, where can people find you? How do they get these wines in your hand, in their hands? How can they taste them? Um, so our website is primarily where you can find us and we ship to California, Montana, Wyoming, and Washington right now. Um, if you are from another state and you're interested, please shoot me an email and I'm happy to put that on the list. Um, and then, um, we have a distributor in Montana, um, and we are working with someone down in San Diego to get our wines a little bit more widely distributed. And we were lucky enough to be picked up by the backyard right here in Paso Robles. So you can find our wines there. Thank you, Russell Baker. Um, Amy. And Amy, yes. Um, yeah. And the so, website. and the website, thibodeauwinery.com. And that's us. And okay. you can reach out. We, we don't have a tasting room. Um, we do host occasional pop-ups. We've done some really successful ones. We did, um, we did our first wine club pop-up and did private events. It was just our family. Josh and I hosted every individual table and our kids bust the dishes. And we were just taking it back to the roots as authentic and sincere and down home as we could. Um, and that was super fun. So we, um, we advertised a little general public pop-up over the summer and we just we just host it right in the winery right next to our barrels and tanks and 
you know, you sit down with us and we talk your ear off and pour you wine and, and it's really fun. So we're looking forward to doing that again in October for our wine club members. And then, you know, occasionally when it works in our schedule, we're parents and working humans and life is chaotic. So we try to humor everybody as best we can. So we will put, um, we will advertise a couple more throughout the year so we can bring people in and let them experience our wine. And, and we have a reservation site or we have a reservation page on our website and it's just basically a form reservation. And if you have a date in mind and you're coming through town, um, and it works for our schedule, we're happy to accommodate you and we'll bring you into the winery and it'll just be us. And that's what you get. We don't have any employees. So, um, but it really, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to be available all the time, but we try. Yeah. But that, you know what people like, people would rather really talk to you too. It's just, it's just how it is, you know, and I think that's actually one of the things that makes Paso so wonderful when people come into Paso. The majority of it is the people behind the bottle are the per- the people you're talking to. So, mm-hmm. well, I want to thank you both for coming on and I know how hectic it is right now. So very, very appreciative. Thank you so much for sharing these wines. I will be posting for people listening. I will be posting about them on my social media. So keep paying attention to that. And seriously, this is a kick-ass wine. Uh, And it is seriously, this just because is, is incredible. So thank you very much. I will put all of your information in the show notes so people can find you and have a wonderful day. And I, I know you just came in, Josh, so you don't have a glass, but I'll raise it for, for both of you and say lunch. Cheers. Thanks, Lori. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoytlin. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Kevins. Until next week, slancha. Oh, no, 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 never let you go. Oh, oh. No, 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 never let you go. Oh, oh. Oh, no, 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 I want to let you go.